0: with me to Jude uh, verses 24 to 25. I'm going to go ahead and start reading. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. So if you would bow your heads and uh, pray with me. Uh, Father, I thank you for the time that we get to gather this morning, that we get to listen to your word, that we get to read your word, sing your truths, absorb your word. Father, I pray that you would uh, send your spirit to us to illuminate your word and reveal the truth. Uh, Spirit, give us faith. Uh, Give us a deep understanding of the cross of Christ. Uh, We thank you for your work, Jesus. We thank you for your work on the cross. We thank you for your obedience. Uh, Jesus, thank you for salvation. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So, this morning we are going to be looking at the conclusion of this awesome and weighty book titled Jude. Um, and so we are going to see today the explosion of praise and adoration to all three persons of the Trinity, the one and only true God. Jude started off by writing his letter and he wrote his desire Um, And his desire was to specifically teach and to write them about their common salvation, about salvation, about the grace and mercy that he himself and the readers had experienced in Christ. He would have much rather written about this because he says at the very beginning, I was very diligent to write and he wanted to write about things such as their justification, about their adoption about reconciliation, about the other benefits that they have in Christ, but was directed by the Holy Spirit, as Denton preached uh, three or four weeks ago. Uh, directed by the Holy Spirit to communicate the great importance of contending for the faith, which was once and all, once for all delivered to the saints. And the reason why was because Jude saw ungodly men in the midst of the church jude saw ungodly men who were delivering a false gospel a perverted gospel so what a perfect letter for us to be in as redeemer fellowship a perfect letter for us to be able to sit under the teaching of this because this this letter is not disconnected from modern times. It's, it's very relevant. False teachings. Are current. There are Christians. Being deceived in the church. I know we've already done this. Somewhat in the previous Sundays. Um, but I want to inform you again. Of some of the specifics. That we face in our modern culture. Aaron touched briefly on a song called. False teachers by Shia Lin. It's quite explicit gets right to the point uh he he does some name dropping i'm not going to do any name dropping but if you want to hear some names go listen to that song i would agree with all of them uh but i, I i'm just going to touch on three things that i see often in our modern times so one of the ones is we see the grossness of the prosperity gospel And this false gospel distorts the goodness of God. It distorts the grace of God. It distorts the actual riches that God has for his children, for Christians. And it takes these beautiful truths and these beautiful promises and these beautiful riches and it says, here's material. It tells you to love the thing and seek the thing that the Bible says you shouldn't. You should not love these things. We see the exaltation of the special gifts, the spiritual gifts. The seeking and longing for these gifts more than Christ himself. And paired with that is the false teaching that one is not indwelled by the Holy Spirit unless you've experienced these gifts. That you don't have the spirit of God if you do not speak in tongues, if you're not prophesying. And these false teachers hide behind the word charismatic. And here's the thing. I would actually call myself a charismatic because I love Jesus. I love Jesus a lot. But I don't use the word because I would have to preface or at the end of it explain what I don't mean. Because false teachers have wrecked it. Another, and perhaps the worst, is anyone who claims that it's Jesus plus something. Jesus plus anything else. Jesus plus baptism, Jesus plus christening. Jesus plus the Lord's Supper. Or Jesus plus the Eucharist. Jesus plus confession of sin to anyone other than Jesus. Jesus plus the sinner's prayer. Jesus plus whatever is the most disgusting form of false teaching. And the biggest middle finger to God and his plan for salvation of sinners. I say all this because we are going to see today... The preserving power of God and the preserving promises of God to his people, even while in the midst of such false teachings. This section is titled rightly the doxology. So doxology could be a hymn that you sing. We're actually going to sing two of them today. We sung "Jude doxology at the end of service. We're going to sing doxology. But. Doxology is an expression of worship. Doxology is the summit of our faith that is given to us. It's the pinnacle of our faith that is given to us. Doxology is the expression of thankfulness to God for our salvation and once again, all the benefits that we have in Christ. Which, by the way, if that, if that language confuses you, all I'm saying is the benefits of Christ. If you are a Christian, you receive the benefits of Christ. All I'm saying is that you've been adopted. You are now a son. You have an inheritance waiting for you. You have been justified. You are being sanctified. The gifts of salvation. The benefits of Christ. And in this specific section of Jude, it is a high praise for God because of his grace that not only... Reaches out and saves us. But his grace that will sustain us before we stand before his throne in the presence of his glory. We just sang, he will hold me fast. There's great truths in that song. Because he holds, he sustains until the end. So we're going to, I'm actually going to like reread these verses like quite a bit. And so. You might even leave, like, memorizing them uh, uh, by the end of this. But that's the way we're going to do it today. Uh, So verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. The first three words now to him. All praise, all thanksgiving belongs to him. The one true God, the only true God. There are no other gods besides the one God who is the three persons of the Trinity. God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit, all fully God, but one. The reason why we sing Trinitarian songs such as this is our God and other ones is because the the scriptures teach about a Trinitarian God. So we want to offer praise and worship to each person of the Trinity. A song that we sang this morning, Mediator, is because the truth communicates the truth that is communicated in Scripture. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, that there is one God, one mediator between God and man, and that is the God-man, Jesus Christ. That's why we sing these songs. And so I hope you catch some of this at, on, on occasions. But to him all praise is due. To God all praise is due. So, Not to Buddha, not to Krishna, and all the other gods in the Hindu religion. Not to Muhammad, not to Mary, not to the saints. But to him alone, God. All praise goes to God because God is the one who accomplished our salvation. And like I said, when I say God, I am referring to all three persons of the Trinity. A lot of times we use this language like... It's just God, and we, we never like ascribe the specifics, and we should work on that. We should practice on that. We don't, we don't thank God the Father for the things that God the Father does. We don't thank God the Son for the things God the Son does, or the God the Spirit for God the Spirit does. And I'll explain this here a little bit because in Ephesians chapter one, which by the way, every time I preach, I think I tell y'all to go read Ephesians. I'm gonna tell you again, go read Ephesians. It was up here today, even Ephesians chapter two. Go read Ephesians chapter one, at least the first fourteen verses, because that's what we're gonna look at right here. So in Ephesians chapter one. God the Father chose us before the foundation of the world and predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. It is through Jesus that we have redemption, forgiveness of sins, adoption. It is through Jesus that we now have a restored relationship with God. And it is the Holy Spirit that regenerates us brings our dead corpses to life, gives new life. The Holy Spirit makes salvation a reality. It is the Holy Spirit who seals us. All that's in Ephesians chapter 1. It is a rich book. This is the triune God that is deserving of our highest praise, and this letter is ending with just that. Now to him. Now to God. But not only has God accomplished our salvation. But to continue on in verse 24. He is the one who is able to keep you from stumbling. And to present you blameless. Before the presence of his glory. With great joy. God has. Accomplished salvation for us. But it's. Not only that, it's not just that he's accomplished salvation for each one of us, but it's that he's preserving us. He is keeping us. He is sustaining us. The pea and tulip, if you don't know what that is, you're going to leave today as a one-point Calvinist. Perseverance of the saints. You don't need to know that, by the way. It's just in the Bible. You don't need to know tulip. But God keeps his people. God is able to keep you. From stumbling. Now the word stumbling in this section is referring specifically to someone falling from grace. Someone who leaves the faith. And God says that if you are in Christ, I will keep you from that. I will hold you. You will not fall. I will not let that happen. You may sin and you may sin boldly. But I will keep you. And we know the people who have like the common objection to this. I I used to be one of these people. I used to be a Christian whenever I was a kid. I was baptized. I did the sinner's prayer. I walked the aisle. And I'm not a Christian anymore. I never was a Christian. But the objection to this idea is just that. I used to love church. I used to love such and such. But I no longer believe. But we know that in a way these people are ignorant of the scriptures. And I don't don't say that to, like, belittle or make fun. I was ignorant of the Scriptures. We all were ignorant of the Scriptures until God revealed it to us. But they don't know what the Scripture says because we know that it can't be true because God's Word says otherwise. God keeps those. He saves. Romans 8, probably, I'll just jump into the crowd, probably one of the best chapters of the Bible. Romans 8... 29 through 30, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. God saves us and keeps us. We see in these verses the promises that God himself Began the work of salvation. He began the work of salvation. Before the foundation. All the way to glorification. And all in between. Working it out for us. Holding us. Keeping us. We see the promises of him. Fulfilling this. Every step of the way. And. Really, what great news is this? Our God is a God who keeps an eye on us, a watchful eye on us, not disconnected. Keeps a watchful eye on us, actively and lovingly cares for us. He protects us from the false teachings of this world. A lot of times I think we look at these false teachers and are like, gosh, thank God I'm not like them. Here's the thing. God kept you. Your flesh wants those things. God keeps you from those things. It's not in and of yourself that you've done that. He actively and lovingly cares for us, protects us from the false teachings of this world, guards our hearts and our minds, and renews them with his word by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you joined us, this past week on Tuesday, yeah, past week on Tuesday, of our overview of the Bible, which by the way, if you didn't, you should. It is fantastic. I was super encouraged uh, whenever I came here. Denton puts in a lot of time to bring forward, I think he puts in a lot of time, I'm not sure, it's two hours worth of content, uh, but he puts in some time to bring forward the, the Word of God in a way that is very encouraging, And we're walking through these next couple of months an overview of the scriptures. And we get to see the consistency of the scriptures. And we get to see constantly God's faithfulness in the scriptures. So if you were with us this past week, what we saw was the repeated faithlessness of Israel. We saw Israel constantly whoring after other gods. We saw Israel constantly disobedient to God's commands. We saw that one generation would love and serve the Lord and love God. We saw the next generation that was more perverse and wicked than the previous generations. Haters of God. But the big part of the story that we saw was the constant faithfulness of God. The constant faithfulness of God Toward his people. We got to see two promises. One of the promises being that I will give you a people, I will make you a people. The second promise being that I will give you a land. And what we see is God fulfill those promises. Even in the midst of a perverse, wicked Israel, God fulfilled his promise, God kept Israel, God remained faithful, God didn't turn his back on his promise, which we all probably know either we've done that or it's happened to us. What that feels like, what that is. But this is the same God. The God that kept his people Israel is the same God in the New Testament. Spoiler alert for probably Denton's third third session that we're gonna have. As he gets into the New Testament, we're gonna see the same God throughout Scripture. God kept his promises then and he keeps his promises now because God is a God who is unchanging. Now, I preface this part by saying that this stumbling is in reference to a falling from the faith, from a falling away. Falling from grace, I should say, because I'm sure that if you're a Christian in this room, you have stumbled and you have sinned. I'm sure that you have sins now that you hide. I'm sure that you have sins now that you do not confess. Which, really quick to the men in this room, if you don't come to Fight Club on Thursday nights every other week, you should come to Fight Club. This is what this looks like for us here at Redeemer Fellowship Church. Every other Thursday as men, we get to come together and we get to take our sin and we get to bring it to the light. And we get to say, this is who I am. This is my sin. This isn't who I am. I am am in Christ, so I'm not my sin. But you get what I'm saying. We get to bring this into the light. We get to talk about our sin, and then we get to leave encouraged by the good news of the gospel. You want to know how to fight sin? That's how you fight sin, in unity with the church. It's not individualistic. But you have sins that you don't confess, and sins that if, we knew about them in this room, you'd feel a weight on you as if it were crushing the life out of you. And that is, that is not a place to be as a Christian. But this promise is still for you. If you are in Christ, there's no point in time that God is surprised by your sin. Too often like, I've done it again. Yeah, God knew you would. He's not surprised by your sin. There's no point in time that he's shocked by your sin. There's no point in time where God says, well, you've exceeded the amount of grace that I've stored for you. You're done. You're cashed. There's not a single point in time that he says, you've dried up all the wells of grace and mercy that I have for you. They don't exist anymore. God says, you are in the middle of an ocean. My water is the grace, and my waves are going to drown you. That is how we need to see the grace of God. Absolutely just pummeling us. Every day, every morning, sustaining us. We often, I had a guy at work, uh, he's got a project car, He's had a project car for a while. I don't think he's ever going to finish this project car. I'm just going to be honest with you. And like honestly, we often look at ourselves as this bad project car or this bad flip home. I used to do home renovations. Guess what? It took six years. Then we moved out. It was terrible. I hated every bit of it. So did my wife. She could tell you more about it than I can. Uh, but we often think of ourselves as this or a motorcycle might connect a little bit better with you Jacob or me I just wrecked mine gosh never mind We're, this is a different <laughs> topic. but we think of ourselves as these bad projects and God is looking at us and he didn't realize all the work that would need to be done in us like how we look at these things God knows the work that has to be done in each one of his children and he does it himself He doesn't contract it out as if it were too much for him or a hassle for him. But he is intimately involved in laying each block for the foundation, every wood plank for the frame, every sheet of drywall, every screw, every wire, every switch, every fastener. And here's the crazy thing, too. He knows how many he needs. Whenever I do home improvement, I'm at the hardware store three or four times. He knows what he needs before he even gets there. To complete the work. He's not surprised or caught off guard by you or your sin. God is the savior and God is the sustainer. To carry on in verse 24, he is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Not only will he keep you from stumbling, stumbling, but he will present you blameless before the presence of his glory. You will stand with full acceptance. No rejection. You see instances in the Old Testament whenever people come before God and they see his holiness and like what do we see in the Old Testament for sure? We see fear and trembling. We see them falling on their faces. And it's because their sin is ever before them and they are ever before a holy God. And they know that they're not blameless. But Jude writes here that we will be presented blameless for the presence of his glory. So how can this be? How can sinful man stand in front of the presence of the full glory of a holy God and not be destroyed? That's like the big question of salvation. What do I do with my sin? I, ca- I can't stand in part of his perfect- I can't stand in front of his perfection. I'm destroyed. I'll just melt. The answer is because of our identity. When someone places faith in Christ, they are given the Spirit of God. They are adopted into the family. They are engrafted into Christ. And thereby, God sees Christ when we stand in front of him. That's how he identifies with us. Christ is our identity, not sin, not flesh, but Christ. If we stood before the throne and the question was raised, Whose righteousness is your claim? Our answer would be, God has gifted to me the righteousness of Christ. That is my claim. Before the throne, we just sang it. That is my plea. What sacrifice or offering do you bring? That's the question in the Old Testament. There needs to be a sacrifice. There needs to be an offering. My only sacrifice and offering is the innocent blood of Christ, which he gave willingly for me. Once again, we sang it this morning, Before the throne of God above. Jesus is our strong and perfect plea. And while we are making this plea, uh, God sees us as blameless, and we stand before the presence of his glory, we will have great joy. Verse 24, we will have great joy, a joy that surpasses all understanding that we have of what joy is. A joy that is out of our grasp. And here's the thing. I don't actually want to say that it's completely out of our grasp. I don't want to say that we haven't experienced a little bit of this. Because if you are a Christian, if you are a new creation, you've been given the Holy Spirit of God. And when you open up his word and God reveals to you his truth, his mercy, his grace, and he reveals to you your sin. And you experience that joy that comes with that. Whenever you realize salvation, that you've been saved by grace through Christ, there's joy there. For sure. And if you've experienced that, you know what I'm talking about. But it is a fraction of the joy that we will have when we stand before the presence of His glory blameless. Because right now, we have full acceptance, we are blameless right now but we have flesh we have sin and so i'll be honest with you i don't always feel blameless i don't always feel full acceptance we we see this in our day of daily living even we we still sin every day our bodies ache my body aches maybe yours doesn't A little cushy job. Uh, (laughs) I didn't mean to insult anybody if I did. I'm sorry. Uh, Our bodies aches. Uh, I, for one, have seasons of spiritual and mental depression. I am anxious. Uh, I oftentimes care way too much about what people think and say. I sin in ways that just absolutely frustrate the heck out of me. And so I don't feel that full acceptance, and I'm robbed of joy while I'm in this body. But here, what Jude is writing, before the presence of his glory, it's not just the truth of my blamelessness. It's not just the truth of full acceptance, but it's the feeling that comes with it. The feeling of full blamelessness, the feeling of full acceptance. Full acceptance, no sin, no death, no flesh, just glory. Now to him, or to carry on in verse 25, to the only God is all praise due. To the only God. Once again, Jude is writing here that there is only one God to whom all praise is due. I just had a guy tell me uh, about two weeks ago that I work with. And here's the thing. I used to hold to this as well. Okay, Um, he said. I was talking to him about the gospel, talking about Jesus, talking about interpretation of the scripture. And he says to me, uh, Robert, we're all in the same destination. We just all have different paths that we are taking to get to that destination. Here's the thing. I'm going to lovingly tell you this. If you think that that is true, that destination point is hell. There's only one. That view and that teaching is a false teaching. It is a false gospel. Jude, in these two verses, practically starts off each verse in the exact same way. Now to him, to the only God. Why does he say it again in verse 25? Because of what follows our savior there is only one savior only one to continue on in verse 25 through jesus christ our lord this is why there is such an emphasis on this because there is only one savior Isaiah 43 says it probably the best. Isaiah 43.11. I, I am the Lord. And besides me, there is no Savior. Pretty explicit. Pretty cut and dry. There's not a lot of wiggle room. I don't even know what objection you make to that. Keep that like in your back pocket. Because you can use that one day. When someone wants to say that there's another Savior, Isaiah 43.11. There is only one God, there is only one Savior, and look at the package deal in verse 25. The only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He cannot be Savior without being Lord. They go hand in hand. You cannot have one without the other. Verse 25, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. I'm briefly, briefly going to explain what each four of these words, that's eight, four of these words mean when referring to God, our Lord. So here's the thing. I do want to preface this really, really quick. These definitions are going to fall short. Because God is so separate. God is so other. That's what holiness means, by the way, separate. He is so different that these are going to miss the mark a little bit. There's, not a perfect, there's no words to perfectly describe these. So if you read Isaiah chapter 6, we read Isaiah's vision of the Lord, and we read that the seraphim was calling out to one another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is fill, full of his glory. Glory is the display of God's holiness, the display of God's infinite perfection that can't be increased and that is in and of himself, the display of God's infinite greatness that has always been infinite, never becoming greater, but already pure and perfect greatness and infinite worth, never decreasing or increasing in value, but for eternity, infinite in his own value. Catch that? Stephen Nichols refers to majesty probably in one of my favorite ways. God is the majesty of God as the godness of God. Dominion is the perfect and sovereign control over everything because everything is his. And lastly, authority is God doing whatever he wants, whenever he wants, with whatever he wants, because he has full and perfect power, ability, and capability over everything. By the way, if you have like good definitions for me, like come visit me afterwards. I, I really do want to hear them because um, probably better than what I got. But this these four things are the are the mark for being God. This is the mark. If you if you want to be savior, these are the marks if you want to be Lord. These are the marks. And if you don't hit this mark, then you are none of the above. The God is a false God if he's not these things. And is incapable of doing anything for anyone. So verse 25, to the only God and Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. So throughout all the ages, throughout all eternity, this is true jude concludes with the only possible conclusion amen amen meaning this is true so i really don't have a lot of application uh to be honest with you except for praise god in all that you do glorify his name in all that you do playing with your kids cooking supper waking up in the morning Working, coming to church, driving down the street for all you Uber and drivers and stuff getting road rage. Took a shot. Nobody knows though. <laughs> uh, praise God in all that you do. And I hope that he's revealing to you the grace that he has extended to you. I hope that he's revealing to you Your salvation. Recall your salvation. Recall his goodness. Recall his grace. Recall his mercy. Praise happens. Let's pray. God, we thank you for you. We thank you for your perfection. We... uh, We thank you for your greatness. We thank you for your goodness, your godness as one separate from us. We thank you for Jesus who came to live as one of us. We thank you for his obedience. Thank you for your obedience, Jesus. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your resurrection. We thank you for salvation. Thank you, Spirit, for renewing us. We praise you for the work that you have done and continue to do in us. We thank you for sealing us. And, God, we thank you for being faithful to a faithless people. In Jesus' name, amen.